Our first reading is Psalm 104. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He set the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing amongst the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth. Wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests, the stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags are a refuge for the hyrax. He made the moon to mark the seasons, and the sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises, and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor until evening. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number. Living things, both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who looks at the earth, and it trembles, who touches the mountains, and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. 
May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Malcolm. I'd ask Elaine to bring us a, a much shorter second reading. Second reading is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 to 34, and it's entitled, Do Not Worry. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thanks, Elaine. I'm going to try and fit what I say today to stuff that Andrew said over the last couple of weeks as well because I think there's, there's maybe some links so hopefully it'll all work um, I'd like to go back to Psalm 104 um, which I had originally intended to split in half and get Malcolm to read half and Elaine to read the other half but then Rachel told me I had to have a New Testament reading so she's done all this training and says ooh you have to have and so there we go so thanks, Malcolm, for reading all of Psalm 104. Um, it's important to remember that the language in Psalm 104 is poetry. So some of the descriptions of, of how things happen aren't necessarily to be taken literally. But what it talks about is very real. So if you... If you look at verses 1 to 9, it starts by describing how God created the earth. And it actually follows pretty much the same order as Genesis. So it talks about how God created light. And the language is fantastic. You know, he clothes himself in light and stretches out the heavens like a tent. 
And whilst it's poetic, it really does sort of show how, just how powerful God is, that God has absolute control over light, over the heavens. He set the earth on its foundations and it can never be moved. It talks in sort of ordinary terms, if you like, about something that is truly extraordinary. It then goes on, verses 10 to 23. It talks about how God provides drink and food and shelter for the birds and for the beasts. And it's a continual process. We're not talking about a God who thousands, millions of years ago created a universe and wound it all up like a clockwork toy and then just left it spinning round on its own, taking care of itself. The psalm talks about God being actively involved with his creation and actively involved in providing food and providing water and providing shelter for the animals. And verses 24 to 30, it talks about how God preserves his creation and how God looks after and how God protects that creation. But it's important to notice as well that it talks about, you know, when God, and I'll find it so I'll say it properly. I've lost it. Yeah, sorry. So in verses 27 to 30. These, these creatures all look to you to give them their food at the proper time. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. When you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. So it's an active, it's active in both counts. God provides and the creatures flourish and are fed and are watered. But then God takes away. When God turns his face, when God hides his face, they're terrified. When you take away their breath, they die. And for me, that was quite a difficult thing to kind of get my head around. It's like, used to sort of, isn't God great? God provides. God is in control of everything. And you think, well, yeah, but then if God is in control of everything, God has to be in control of when things seem to be bad or going wrong. Just to finish off going through the psalm. Verses 31 to 35 ends with a prayer that God's glory will endure, that the writer will be able to worship God throughout his life, but also desire that people who spoil God's creation will disappear and will be no more. There's a few things I would like to sort of draw out of that. And the first thing, which might be a challenge for some people, is this idea that God created the universe. I'm not going to get into a big discussion about whether, whether God used what we call evolution or whether God created the, the universe in seven days, whether that's seven periods or seven actual days or anything like that. However you believe God created the universe, the important thing is to acknowledge that God created the universe. How many of you have watched Antique Roadshow? I used to watch it. I loved it when I was a kid. Me and my brother used to sing the theme tune, which is quite sad. We did the parts and everything. 
all the sort of classical music. I don't know, I think I was the oboe. <laughs> but what's the first thing that these experts do whenever anyone brings them a jug or a painting or a watch or, or whatever? They turn it over, they peel back the frame or whatever, and they look for the maker's mark. They look for the little stamp, the little signature, the little thing that says, who made it? And then they know all about it. And then they can say, ah, now this was, uh, this was created by Josiah Wedgwood in his Wedgwood place in Wedgwood near <laughs> Stoke. <laughs> I think. You can tell I've planned this, can't you? You know, or this painting's by John Constable. You know. I remember there was one where they got really excited because this guy had brought in this painting. And it was by some painter called Dad, which we thought was hilarious when we were kids because we used to watch it without Dad. But it was a painting that had been missing for years because they knew that this guy had painted all these pictures and he had a catalogue of everything he'd done and they knew where all of them were bar this one. And this bloke turned up in Surrey somewhere. It's been in my loft for years, you know. Is it worth anything? But what they don't do is get the picture and go, it's a fantastic picture, this. No idea how he made it. Don't really care. Look at it. It's lovely. I bet this has magical properties. I bet if we were to sit and look at this forever, we, would contem- we, could, we could be healed or, or whatever. And sometimes we make that mistake ourselves. We look at God's creation. And all we see is the creation and we don't see the creator. We don't see the maker's mark in every blade of grass, in every daisy, in the red sky at night. Shepherd's delight. I always want to say angel delight, but that's something else. (laughs) And we get caught up in just admiring the creation. You know, and in some cultures, even worshipping the creation. You think back to sort of time of the Bible when when other other cultures worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. And what they're worshipping there are things, objects. I might as well go and pray to my car to heal me from my cold. God created the universe and God's signature is right across the universe. Not just the world, because this is the thing. The world is just the right distance from the sun to sustain human life. And the sun is just the right size and brightness and heat to sustain human life. And all the other planets in the, in the solar system need to be there to keep us in the right orbit around the sun. And then the sun needs to be in just the right position in the universe, orbiting around within our galaxy. And our galaxy is in the right place in the universe. And it's all, astronomers call it the, the Goldilocks principle, because everything is just right. Just like the bed was too hard, too soft, just right. The porridge was too hot, too salty, just right. It's not an accident. It's designed, it's created. God created the universe. And sometimes when we know that, we forget. Sometimes we need to just take a bit of time to give God credit for what he's done. I get really frustrated sometimes when you see these things, you know, and it's like a Mozart painting was sold at auction today for £1.5 million and it's, been, it's now in the hands of a private collector. And you think, that's going to be in somebody's garage 
or something, well, hermetically sealed, air-conditioned storage area or something. You know, there's a, there's a scene in Iron Man, <laughs> I've just thought of it now, <laughs> where he's, he's got all the, this guy, the guy in Iron Man's got lots of money and, he, and he, he sort of buys nice things and whatever, and his PA comes in and says, there's a, I think it's a Jackson Pollock or something, a painting anyway that he's, that he's after. The, the dealer's been on, do you still want it? And he says, is, what do you think? Is it good? She says, well, it's probably not one of his best, but it's a good example. Yeah, buy it, store it. Just want to have it. What a waste. Get, out, get it out. Look at it. Marvel at it. Lend it to museums so other people can see it. But don't we do the same thing sometimes with God's creation? We just sort of walk past the trees and go, huh, oh, trees. Or you go out to the car and you complain because a bird's pooed on your windscreen you're going to have to clean it off. Or it's raining and you want it to go out on your bike and you can't because it's wet. It's not fair. Rather than, hurrah, God's made it rain. That means the grass will grow, which I'll have to cut. (laughs) But rejoice in God's creation. A few weeks ago, Andrew, Andrew used that, that, that passage in Philippians. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice when a bird has pooed on your car because God has created birds and seeds which birds have eaten. <laughs> rejoice when it rains because if it didn't rain, we wouldn't have trees. We wouldn't have grass. Rejoice when the sun's out because it's great. but rejoice by thanking God for what he's given us. The middle passage in the Bible was talking, in the, in, the, in, in the psalm was talking about how God provides. God provides trees that grow berries that we could eat, perhaps. We have, we have a little strawberry plant in our back garden that doesn't have many strawberries on it because Ethan has discovered that strawberries are edible. And in Ethan's world... Every single strawberry is edible, regardless of whether it's green, white, red, all edible. So there's not many left. Our next door neighbour at the back has a plum tree that overgrows onto, onto us. So Rachel's been robbing, um, collecting plums <laughs> with a view to making jam. We've just got a big pile of plums that are slowly going off in the kitchen. God provides... We were praying before about drought in Africa. God provides enough food to feed the world. But we collect it together into hordes and say, well, this is my food. I'll sell you some if you want. You've got enough. Oh, you can have some of mine, but only if you give me something else. It's us that makes the food not go far enough, not God. God provides enough water, but we waste it. We've just installed a water butt in our back garden because basically because I work for the Environment Agency and, and a few months ago I read a drought report about how little it was likely to rain and I panicked and rushed out and bought It was so bad. The, the, this report was so scary. I was going to buy a water butt and then fill it up with a hose just in case. <laughs> so we got a water butt and I installed it on the Saturday afternoon and it chucked it down all Sunday and it was full by Sunday afternoon and I don't think it's ever been empty since. It's not a particularly big butt. But there we go. You didn't want to know about how big my butt was, did you? 
If you're listening to this on the podcast, my name's Adam Sowerby. (laughs) But God provides enough rain. God provides enough water and we don't use it wisely. But yes, sometimes God removes his provision or sometimes God lets us go through hard times. And we have to ask why that's happening. I wasn't sure I was going to share this because it's about the, uh, the, the disciples being in the boat and it getting rough. And I use that just about every time I preach. But I read something after the last time I preached on, on that. Um, and it's the, the, it's the passage where Jesus calms the, calms the storm rather than the one where they have to get out of the boat because I use that a lot. Um, but it's the passage where Jesus calms the storm. So it's the storm blows up and the disciples get scared. And Jesus is sleeping in the boat and the disciples come and wake him up and say, Master, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus tells them off for having, not having enough faith and then calms the storm. And what this book that I was reading said was Jesus doesn't tell them off for being scared of the storm. They were probably right to be scared of the storm. It was the storm that probably could have capsized the boat and drowned them. He doesn't tell them off for being scared that they're going to die. He tells them off for saying, don't you care that we are about to die. No matter what you're going through, God cares. And that's what our second reading was about, was to say, don't worry about tomorrow. And it's kind of easy, isn't it? It's sort of Bob Marley, don't worry about a thing. Every little thing's going to be all right. And it's, it's a bit lame in some ways, isn't it? Yeah, you know. yeah, you've lost your job and your house is about to be repossessed. Don't worry. Everything will be all right. I've got a colleague at work who works part-time and her husband is in full-time training to be a youth worker. So all they're living off is her part-time wages. And they've got two kids. And she hasn't given up on having more. And A guy I used to work with who's just retired recently used to find her infuriating because she's a Christian and he thought she was being ridiculously irresponsible. How can you possibly contemplate having more kids? How can you possibly cope on a part-time salary? And it wasn't that she was actively trying to have more kids or anything. Her approach was, if God wants us to have more kids, we'll have more kids. And God will provide for us and any extra kids that we might have. And he just, could, he just thought, that's just totally irresponsible. God will provide. You know, the number of times we'd sort of, me and him, we'd be chatting and sort of, I'd, I'd admire her for her faith and, and, and how, she, how, how they cope. And, and she, he'd just sort of roll it, you know, and some sort of say, oh, I, I don't know how she, how she manages, I don't know how they get by on just her salary. And he'd roll his eyes and go, God will provide. You think, well, yeah, he does, you know, and she'd come in, you know, and she'd say, got up this morning and there was a cheque on the doormat for £200, which was just the amount we needed to pay the outstanding tuition fees for, for my husband for his youth work and youth ministry course. Or, you know, the kids needed new shoes and somebody, lent a, some, somebody came to church and said, oh, we've got these shoes that our kids have grown out of that are probably about the right size for your kid. You know, and, 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 and you can look at it and say, well, it's just coincidence or it's just because people are nice. 
But God knows that people are nice because God makes people nice. And God uses and God honours that faith. And a few weeks ago, Andrew talked about stress and about relying on God. And I know that people are going through difficult times and I know that people have, have worries and concerns. Last weekend, well, about a week or so ago, Rachel was playing with my hair in a romantic fashion. And she said, oh, there's a funny little lump on the back of your neck. I said, yeah, I noticed that a while ago. And she said, oh, well, yeah, we'll keep an eye on it. And later that week, which was last week, or the week before, I've forgotten now already, wow. I said, well, it's a bit bigger. Oh, I'm a bit worried about this. So I phoned the doctor. And it was the, I tried on the Thursday and I couldn't get through, so I tried again on the Friday. Oh, uh, how about Monday? So I spent all, yeah, last weekend, panicking. I've got a lump on my neck and it's got bigger. Oh no. I wasn't worried for me. I was worried for Rachel and for Ethan of what if anything happened to me. I went to the doctor Monday and he said, it's a gland, you muppet. <laughs> so I'm fine. My point is, I was worried. But I still, I wasn't worried for me. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I knew that whatever was happening, and it's easy to say now, looking back, <laughs> God was in control. And it wasn't good. It's not good to spend an entire weekend panicking and being slightly concerned. It wasn't an enjoyable time. I don't look back and go, I'm so glad that God, God let me worry about that lump. Because by the time I went to the doctor, it had gone down again as well. I felt like a right idiot when I got there. Oh, there's a lump and it's big and it's gone again. Yeah, it's gone. But it's, it's one thing to worry. But at, at the same time, it's actually reassuring to know that God is in control. If God created the entire universe, he's in control of what happens to you. Nothing happens to you without his say-so. In the book of Job, it talks about how Job was really faithful to God. And the devil came along and said to, said to God, Job's really faithful to you, but that's only because you've really blessed him and he's wealthy and everything. I bet if everything went against him, he would stop praising you and stop being faithful to you. And the whole book of Job is about how God allows Satan to test Job. It's quite a difficult book in some ways. God allows Satan to test Job and to take things away from him. And Job continually still says, okay, so I've lost this, but I will still praise God. Okay, so I've lost that. I'll still praise God. I've lost my entire family. I still praise God. Now, I like to think that God knew that Job's straight faith was strong enough to cope. And that God was continually strengthening God, uh, Job throughout. And that's where we are. God knows how strong your faith is. And if we rely on him, God will strengthen our faith. 
And whenever bad things are happening, God is in control. I mentioned before about giving God credit for his creation and giving God praise for his creation. I would like to encourage you to go out, not now, please, but whether it's when you get out on some trees in the thing, or whether you want to go further afield and climb a mountain, or cycle up one, or even better, freewheel down the other side, or whether you want to jump in a boat and go sailing, whatever it is, go out and enjoy God's creation and thank God for his creation. But I'll also say we have a responsibility for that creation. We have a responsibility to look after it. We have a responsibility to help our brothers and sisters around the world who don't have enough because of the way we've all hoarded some of our food over here and they've not got enough. We have a responsibility to look after God's creation here so that our children and their children and their children will be able to enjoy it in the same way as we do. And it's a difficult one in a way. I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, climate change and all that kind of thing. And we should all play our part and reduce water and insulate our houses. And I'm sure you, you probably all do and recycling and all that. And part of me thought, a lot of us do, if not all of us, recycle. Especially easy when you just lob it all in the blue bin and somebody else sorts it out. That's great. Recycle and reduce waste and turn your thermostat down a bit. I think, well, if we're all doing it individually, how does that reflect how we behave as a church? And do we recycle enough as a church? And do we turn our heating down enough as a church? You know, do we say, right, I tell you what, this winter, instead of cranking all the heaters up to 11, spinal tap style, let's just all bring a jumper. And when it's a bit chilly, let's all stick a jumper on and save a bit of energy and fuel and money by not cranking the heating up in the church. Where I find it difficult is that I've just said that the universe is God's and God's creation and God's in control. And I'm still struggling, because I've only really just started to think about it, that if God is in control, will God let our actions destroy his creation? That's not a reason to just go, fantastic, I'm off to buy a gas guzzler, I'm off to crank all the heating up and open the windows, because it doesn't matter, because God will look after it all. Because God expects us to do our bit. But I'm not sure, and I've only really just thought of this, which is why I'm sort of a bit hesitant, but I'm not sure that climate change, God will let climate change destroy the world. On the other hand, that might just be how God brings about the end of the world. So, either way, I guess what we, <laughs> controversially what I'm saying, whatever we do might make no difference. If God wants to end the world through climate change, then recycling your Coke can is not going to stop it. If God doesn't want to end the world through climate change, recycling your Coke can is not going to make much difference either. But, this is, what, this is the danger of working off scant notes. <laughs> let's do our bit. Let's not take that chance. Let not, let's not 
get to heaven and go, uh, sorry, God, we, we thought you were going to end the world through climate change, so we thought we'd help. I'm going to scare Brian now. But while I was preparing for this, I thought, why don't we get solar panels for the roof? We've got lots of roof up there. You could fit a lot of solar panels on there. Either the ones that heat the water or the ones that give us electricity and we can flog it back to the national grid. It doesn't matter. The sun comes from all over. <laughs> it's not all north facing. If that's north facing, that must be south facing. We'll get some up there. I did have a look on a map and thought, oh, oh, that's a shame. It's not quite in the right angle. But perhaps a challenge to us as a church, because I think as individuals we probably are trying to do our bit to help climate change, but I'm not convinced as a church we necessarily reflect that same level of, of action. And what can we do as a church to help look after God's creation. And that might even be, well, let's make the back corner of the, the garden that's a bit mossy and dark into kind of like a wildflower garden or something and plant some bluebells there that like a bit of shade so that there's a bit of extra habitat for butterflies and, and things like that that are dying out. It's not necessarily about, oh, we've got to sit in the cold to save heating. Let's do some good things. Because that's the other problem with climate change. All the messages are, don't do this, don't do that. Wash your bean cans and throw them in the, don't throw them in the ordinary bin. Put them in, you know. Let's do some nice, positive things as well. Anyway, shut up, Andy. Stop rambling. Sorry, Adam. My name's Adam, yes. <laughs> to summarise, I guess the three key points I want to make um, and... I guess it depends where, you, where you're maybe at with God at the moment. Depends on which ones might hit you more or not, or might be more of a challenge or not. But the first one is, God created the universe. And God is in control of that universe. The second one is, if God is in control of that universe, then God is in control of what happens in your life. And if you trust God, you don't need to worry about what's happening in your life because God will look after you. That doesn't mean everything will be great all the time. But it does mean that God is in control of what is happening and that God is using what is happening either to teach you or to strengthen you or to bless you. So let's not just pray to God when things are going bad, but let's remember to come back and thank him and to praise him when things go well. And the third point, the last point, is to give God thanks for his creation and to look after that creation. To remember the next time you're scraping bird poo off your car, to thank God for the bird and the tree it was sitting in at the time and the berries from the tree that it ate. And let's look after that creation. Both as individuals and as a church.